Yes, way. This is Hypercritical, a weekly talk show ruminating on exactly what is wrong in the world of Apple and related technologies and businesses. Nothing is so perfect that cannot be complained about. By my friend and yours, host of this show, John Syracusa. I am Dan Benjamin. Today is Friday, September 21st, 2012. It's episode number 86. I'd like to say thanks very much to our sponsors, gazelle.com. Squarespace.com, Hover.com, and Treehouse. Treehouse, teaching you about web design, web development, mobile app development. They do this all online. You can even learn how to start a business. Their classes are super affordable. There's no contract, which is what I really like. I don't like contracts. If you're an entrepreneur, if you're anyone looking to learn more about this kind of stuff, you can check them out and they'll help you figure out how to turn your idea into a business and make some money. And they're giving you 50% off the first month. If you visit this special URL, teamtreehouse.com slash join slash five by five. Check them out, learn some stuff, make some money. We also want to say thanks very much to Igloo Software. They are paying, footing the bill for our bandwidth this month. What do they do? It's your digital workplace. It means you can give updates, have discussions, and share files with your team in one place. Check them out, make them happy that they supported this show. Igloosoftware.com slash five by five so did you stand in line this morning and get your iphone i did not hmm. Hmm. did you stand in line this morning oh no, no i don't i have people to stand in line for me you didn't order it for the mail no i didn't order anything and no i didn't i didn't stand in line and i don't have people for that uh no no iphone for me i will probably get one in a few weeks or whenever they're in abundance at the store and i can walk in and wait for five minutes and get a phone. All right. It's a, this, uh, this whole, uh, you know, dog and pony show they do. And I don't, I don't go for that. I'm not in a rush. It's not going anywhere. My phone works. Yeah. I would feel the same way if I was buying one, probably. But I might have just ordered it online because that seems like the, uh, the even lazier option. If you get your order in, you know. You just click a couple buttons, and then it shows up at your house. And yeah, well, you, you click a couple buttons, but you have to wake up at 3 in the morning East Coast time and set alarms and all that nonsense. And it's sold, it sold out, like, in the first... from You couldn't buy it from Apple after the first few minutes. No, that's a bummer. Yeah, yeah I, probably, I probably wouldn't have done that. So this week, I think we're actually going to talk about the iPhone 5. I would enjoy that. If you can imagine. Go figure. Yeah. But... We have follow-up first. Just a little bit. Okay. As is my way. <laughs> this, this is one of those things you do. Yes. Uh, so long ago, I discussed the possibility of doing a podcast about the PlayStation 3 video game called Journey. And I had a little poll about it that I encouraged readers to, uh, readers, listeners to uh, fill out and tell me whether they thought they would enjoy that. And the poll came down after a couple thousand people filled it out. 70% wanted it and 30% did not. And subsequently, I decided that I'm probably not going to do an episode of this show exclusively about that one game. Uh, But I did do an episode of The Incomparable, which is another podcast on 5x5 hosted by Jason Snell with a rotating cast of nerds where we talk about nerdy things. And sometimes we talk about video games. And I got all those guys to 
find a way to acquire and play Journey. And we talked about it on a recent episode. So if you want to hear me talk about Journey with a bunch of other nerds also talking about the same thing for an entire show, I suggest you go to 555.tv slash incomparable slash 108 and get episode 108 of the incomparable called Journey. Then we touched, then we sang. <laughs> and I, I put it into the show notes so uh, people can go and, and follow along at home. They can play along at home by going to 5x5.tv slash hypercritical slash 86. So all of the things that we mentioned here, they'll line up right there. Did you actually put it into the show notes? Well, I have it on the thing right now. I'm about to click the bookmark. But, 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 but you should not do that, of course. Why? Because I've already added it and you get the sad face. I don't mind the sad face. I'm just saying, like, you don't need to. You should know by now that. Well, I didn't know. Surely sometimes you do, I, but sometimes you think of things, you know, last minute. This could have been one of your things. I know, but this was like the first follow-up item. All right. Anyway. Yeah, there's the sad face. Yeah, there you go. Okay, the next bit is about last week's show where I continued to talk a little bit about my Thunderbolt display woes. And during the show, someone either sent an email feedback or a tweet or something. It was like a real-time feedback saying uh, that this person feared... Uh, the idea of participating in what he called the refurb pool where you have a device that keeps getting repaired and you keep bringing it back and you keep either getting parts or replacements from this pool of other devices that were getting repaired and are now refurbished, but really they're just machines where they couldn't figure out what the problem was. And as far as Apple's concerned, it's okay. And now it just goes back into the pool and some other poor sucker gets the thing and is uh, disappointed to find out that now he has a quote-unquote new device to replace his old one, but it's just someone else's lemon. And, you know, you get stuck in that cycle. Uh, and during the show, I pointed out that this is just what some, what some person is saying. I'm not sure whether this is true or not, but there you have it. So an anonymous person wrote in, someone who wishes to remain anonymous, who is a genius at an Apple store, and he would like to emphasize that there is no such thing as a refurb pool. Uh, he says if they were to replace anything, a cinema display or a whole computer, it's replaced with a brand new product taken directly from retail stock. Uh, and he points out that it's also, you know, you'll get the most equivalent product if they don't make the exact model, they'll find whatever is the closest model to you. And by the way, that's one of the most fun and exciting ways to get a new product is to have something that breaks completely and you need a replacement, but it's so old that they can't they can't replace it with the actual model because they don't make it anymore. So they give you whatever the most equivalent one. And the most equivalent one is usually much better than your old one. So you get a new product and it's, you know, you can't really plan this. But when it does happen, it's actually kind of fun. Uh, this person points out that in the case of individual parts, just replacing like a logic board or something, Apple may give you a refurbished part. But whenever they replace the entire thing, you get a brand new one right from retail stock as if you just went in and bought it with your money. So there you have it from the horse's mouth. The refurb pool, when it comes to entire products, does not exist in Apple stores. Uh, you may get refurbished parts. And the final piece of follow-up, believe it or not. No way. Yes, way. <laughs> is from <laughs> J.M. Ibanez. Uh, and he wanted to point out on the, the show where we talked about my ebook publishing woes, I mentioned that the iOS Kindle application does not support KF8, the Kindle format, a fancier format for books. Uh, but the, uh, well, I said that the Mac version does, but I'm not sure how many people heard that because the money people wrote in to tell me, uh, that the OS 10 Kindle app just got an update to say it supports KF8. And I was confused by that because everyone was sending, saying, oh, it's just been updated. They must've heard your show and updated. Ha ha. You know, like it was updated the day my show was released. 
But as far as I was aware, the OS 10 Kindle app had KF8 support back when I was writing my Mountain Lion review. Like from, you know, for months before the Mountain Lion review, it had KF8 support. The iOS version didn't. And that's what made me crazy about it was that like the Mac version, which you know, how many people even use the Mac version, had KF8 support, but the iOS one didn't. And so I went and clicked through the links and it, it, sure enough, it was like it was a link to the, the Kindle a reader for OS 10 and it said, you know, what's new in version 1.10.3 and in the what's new list list was support for Kindle format eight books. And it was released on September 10th, 2012. So I thought I was going crazy, but then I realized this must be what happened. What I was looking at was the Mac app store, uh, update of the Kindle reader, but I didn't buy my, you know, I, I didn't buy download it through the Mac app store. I downloaded it. It's not, it's not, it's a free application. You don't have to buy it. I downloaded it directly from Amazon. So maybe the Mac App Store version just got Kindle Format 8, but the direct download one had it for a long time before. I went and checked the Mac version that I have installed. And since it has a self-auto-updater thingy, I'm actually on a version of this thing that was released like a couple weeks ago. So I don't know if I'm going crazy or not, but I'm pretty sure that the, the Mac Kindle reader for OS X not uh, downloaded from the Mac App Store already had Kindle Format 8 support. Uh, before even my mountain line review is out. Uh, but anyway, the iOS version still does not, and that's still crazy to me. I the, think that's all I have for fun. That's crazy. Yeah. That's very weird. Su- succinct. There's something is different about you today. I'm gonna, um, should I jinx it again? Should I? I think we're going to have a short show. We're going to have a short show, huh? Yeah, I'm trying to tighten it up. Like I have those big ones after the mountain line review, which I allowed myself the room to stretch out there. But now we're gonna we're gonna bring it together. All right. I mean, whatever you want to do. Yeah, and, you know, and if it turns out we have time at the end, I always have more stuff to discuss. So it's not like I, it's not like I lack for uh, for filler. And we've done a lot of episodes of this show. We've done this is our 86th episode. And do you remember back early on when you said, "I think I, I don't know if I have much to say." Remember that. Well, I think that's still true. Like every week, I, I feel like um, I don't have anything to say this week. Like I'm out. That's it. I'm out of ideas. I've got nothing. Else. I feel I still feel that way every week. But then at the end, at the end of each recording session, I feel like I have all the stuff I didn't get to talk to. So those those two feelings happen every single week. Yeah, I don't don't know what the explanation for that is, but there you have it. Well, we collectively, the collective we, we appreciate it that you don't run out of things. Yeah. Oh, and I guess one more item. Speaking of ramble, me rambling on and on and on. Uh, I was on another podcast just last night, which isn't out yet, but you'll be able to grab it this weekend or early next week, uh, called The Impromptu. Uh, apparently, I'm limiting myself to podcasts that, <laughs> that are the some word that starts with an I. Uh, the Impromptu is a podcast featuring a bunch of nerdy people talking about stuff, and they frequently talk about things that I talk about on my show, often specifically referencing my show because they listen to it and they would send me, you know, tweets and stuff like, hey, uh, we just did an episode of our podcast and we talked about some of the same things you did uh, and cited your show or whatever. And so I would go over and listen to them. And it's a bunch of nerds arguing and I like that kind of thing. And they're talking about topics that I'm interested in. Uh, But it was frustrating for me to hear them talk about things that I discussed without me being part of the conversation. So I couldn't, you know, clarify, defend defend myself or whatever. So I said, I should be on your show. So I was on their show yesterday. Uh, it's hosted by Adam Highland, and uh, he is a listener to the show and a fan. And I enjoyed talking to him at length about many of the same topics that I've also talked about in this show. Only both of us just love to talk and talk, so it's it's quite an endurance test. So if you 
if you really want to test your metal at how much of my rambling you can take, try the impromptu. Uh, and not just the episode that I was on, but there's lots of other interesting ones. Just look through the back catalog. I think there's like 20 or something episodes. Uh, take a look at that. All right. Are we ready for iPhone topic? I'm, I'm ready. This is weird. Like we're, ten, we're only 10 minutes in. I don't. I know. It's crazy. Well, we'll see. Maybe this will, maybe now the middle section will just expand forever. But if it doesn't, you know, we'll see. All right. Should we do it? I mean, it's weird. Usually we're 20 minutes in and we do a sponsor. And now we're only 10 minutes in. Well, how many sponsors do you have today? I've got three for you. Yeah. So you should probably do one now and then we'll do one in the middle and then, you know, one towards the end. All right. Well, and our, uh, our first sponsor is gazelle.com. Perfectly timed because what they do is they, they buy your old hardware, iPhones, iPads, computers, smartphones, other kinds of smartphones. I'm sure they would buy your iPod touch also, John. And what you do is you go to gazelle.com, G-A-Z-E-L-L-E, gazelle.com, and you pick the device. I've got pictures. It's really easy. You just click the picture. And it, yeah, they say, oh, what generation is it? What condition is it in? You tell it, and they give you, they, they give you an estimate. And it's actually not an estimate. That's their lock-in. That's their price. They'll tell you, oh, we'll give you 200 bucks for that thing. Now, how does it work? They pay for shipping. They either send you a check or send you money with PayPal. I've used these guys myself way before they were a sponsor. And I, I, this, is, this is now how I unload stuff. If I have an old computer, if I have, this is how I'm going to get rid of my iPhone 4S once I get the new one. And they're great. And you lock in the price. You lock in the price now. And that price is good for 30 days. So lock it in now. And if you know you're going to get a new iPhone in the next 30 days or whatever, and you have all that time to get it back to them. They pay for everything. It's really great. They've paid for like 50, my notes here. Is this right? $50 million to over 300,000 customers, which is a lot. And uh, you go to gazelle.com to learn more. That's all you got to do. Lock it in. Check them out. Gazelle.com. 13 minutes in, we already done a sponsor. I don't know my, my wife's friend just sold her uh, old iPhone with Gazelle. I don't know if she's listening to the show. I really doubt she is. But she just did that and also waited online this morning to get her iPhone and got it. Uh, and she knew the, this, this should be a name for this phenomenon where you go to uh, wait online for your iPhone or whatever. And by the time you get to the front of the line, like you want a black Verizon 32 gig or whatever, but you can't get it because, you know, everyone in front of you got that because it's a popular model. <laughs> right. I'm sorry, all we have left is blah. And uh, and because you waited in line for three hours, you're like, I'm, I'm not going home without a phone. And like she had, she had already sold her, her other one through Gazelle. So she really actually did need a phone. And so she ended up with a 64 gig model. Nice. You know. Yeah, they, they, it's like with, a forced, is it a, it's either a forced upgrade or a forced downgrade, but I, I figure people probably upgrade. Yeah. Well, what ends as up opposed is to downgrade. the unpopular color is left eventually towards the end of the line, but it's sort of in the middle of the line. The low end ones are usually not around. It's like the high end ones are there because I don't think a lot of people buy in the 64. It's like all the bargain shoppers get the 16s and the 32 is the one that most people get. And then the 64s are just for, you know, the rich fancy people. And so that's what you end up getting. So she, she got the 64, even though she doesn't need it. Uh, them's the brakes. Yeah, so the iPhone. Now, like we talked about the iPhone five when we had the prediction show before the ebook show, where we talked about what we thought it would be. Yeah, uh, I was on the special discussing the iPhone a little bit. Uh, it, I'm surprised myself finding that that's still what I want to talk about, even though we discussed pretty much every feature of the phone in the past. Somehow, it's different talking about it now that it's a real thing. Like everything we discussed before was. Well, if this is the phone and if they do this, then it was all kind of 
like at a distance at arm's length kind of speculatively and i guess just my brain wouldn't completely engage with everything because it seemed like it was pointless to talk about this thing until it was real but now it is real and even though it's exactly like we thought it would be somehow it feels to me like we need to talk about it marty do you get that feeling i would love to talk to to you about this at any time yeah real or unreal like once it's real it's like oh now now this is you know something that we really do need to discuss because it's not just speculation it's an actual product (laughs) whatever you want to do is fine all right um so I guess we'll start. You are a realist. You're very focused on reality. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good description. Yes, I'm very, I'm very focused on reality. Yeah, <laughs> we can talk about your bathroom habits uh, maybe at the end of the show. Yeah, after dark. It. <laughs> All right. Uh, external external design, which is as we all expected. By the way, I'm I'm talking about a phone here that I have not seen in person and have not touched. Uh, so keep that in mind. We can't discuss my hands-on because I haven't actually had any hands-on. But still, still, I feel like I need to discuss it. Uh, and part of it is like now that Apple, like when the official release, you get Apple's product shots of the thing. Like they're, they're glorious 3D renders and real photographs with perfect lighting that are photo retouched. And you can really look at how Apple views their design. Because when you just see some person with their parts on some YouTube video or some, you know, uh, blurry photograph or something, you don't know, like... Seeing Apple's product photography lets you know what it is about the design that Apple thinks is good. Like, what are they emphasizing about the design? What is the message of this design? Despite the fact that it's the same physical thing that in all those blurry photos, Apple will emphasize some aspect of it, whether it's, you know, showing showing a laptop always on the side because thinness was the big message or showing some particular shiny thing or showing the the, uh, Power Mac G5 tower looming over everything. Like, what is the... What is the visual message of this thing? They're kind of going with thinness as being the message, but it seems like they're more in love with the materials than the physical shape. Lots of pictures emphasizing that little chiseled edge uh, around it. Uh, it, It's emphasized so much more in these photos than I imagine it would be when you see one in real life because in real life, that little edge is very small, but in the photos, it's like right in your face and it's the one shining, gleaming thing uh, shooting out at you right uh i think design looks good i agree with marco the p that he has uh, voiced many times that the camera in the back is not vertically centered in the little glass region uh it looks looks less awkward to me in apple's product photos than it did in the spy photos i don't know if that's just because it's moved up a millimeter from the spy photos or it's just apple's photography de-emphasizes that but that's definitely a non- Apple-like design cue, like yeah. to have to have a back region where there's three parts: there's a middle, a top, and a bottom. And the top and the bottom are the same size. Good thumbs up on that. It's not some crazy Kindle Fire with like a a bigger bottom part or whatever. But in the top part, there are two elements, and they're they're not vertically centered. Uh, now the camera is centered with respect to the radius of the corner, but to do that necessarily means that it can't be centered vertically, and it's just it's a little bit a little bit off. Uh, and the other thing it's all about is the fact that it needs back panels at all. Like, this isn't a design choice where Apple's like, we feel like a stripe pattern. Like, we want to have a middle stripe and then a highlight top and the bottom. Now, the reason they're different materials is because they wanted to have this unibody metal design so it's sturdy so they didn't have glass in the back anymore. Um, and by the way, that was my big prediction after the iPhone 4 design with the glass is like the ne- the next major design of the iPhone will not have gla- uh, a glass back. And this one does not have a glass back. It has a 
very partially glass back, but the body of this thing is metal. But of course, you can't have the entire back be metal because you got to find some place for the antennas. And Apple has in the past and in the present on the iPad had like, and on the iPod Touch had little plastic regions, which look kind of lame and break up the design. And they try to make them tasteful, but they need some sort of radio transparent region for the antennas to go in. So the iPod uh, Touch has this little wart, this little plastic wart on it. (laughs) It's like where the antennas poke out. And the iPad has a big strip along the top Mm -hmm. that's all plastic. Uh, Unlike the MacBook Pros and MacBook Airs and stuff, they tend to hide the radio transparent region like in the hinge or some other place where it's not obvious because it breaks up the design. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and right here, this this Retina MacBook Pro does have the black plastic hinge, but it, it looks like it's part of the design as opposed to what you're describing here. Yeah, well, even that, like, they, at least they have some place to hide it. On something with a hinge, you're like, well, just, we'll just tuck it, like, down in there. And it's kind of, you know, it, it's dark, it's in shadow, maybe you won't notice it that much. It's different than, for example, the... Uh, the pre-unibody MacBook Pro had the little plastic regions on the side of the lid, on the side of the screen. Do you remember those? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do. So, like they had to cut out a little bit yeah. of aluminum to have a little... And right. the reception, reception was terrible. <laughs> like For the long time, when the, when the aluminum, aluminum PowerBook came out, the Albooks, the original aluminum things, the plastic MacBooks had better reception because they were totally plastic. That's and right. the radio reception was better. And, and like they, Apple's always trying to find a way of how do we get these antennas out of this aluminum cage we've created for them. Like we want that we want them to be free to be, you know. You just feel like any anything that Apple does, if there's an antenna involved, is a compromise. It's like they I think the technology that Apple probably all these uh, all these companies hate the most, but certainly Apple, it just it impedes their quest for that beautiful minimalist design that they're always shooting for. Oh, I got the antenna. What are we going to do about it? Yeah, that? and it only impedes it because, like, Apple is always uh, messing with materials. Like, and they want a material that's, like, sturdy, that feels good in your hand, that doesn't bend, that doesn't crack, doesn't discolor with heat, doesn't, like, this many, many requirements for, you know, that, that's cheap, that's light, that's easy to make into certain shapes very precisely, all these requirements. And unfortunately, one of the requirements is, and you have to have antennas, so if it was radio transparent, that'd be great. And they just haven't found a material that fulfills all these criteria. And they've settled on over the past many years, like, all right, well, aluminum does everything we want except for be radio transparent. So let's just go with aluminum and we'll just find a place to put this antenna with varying degrees of success. And most of their, their selections have compromised the radio abilities of their products because that they just pains them to go oh, we got to find some place for the stupid antenna well, let's try it here and they end up with a product that has terrible wi-fi range like the original aluminum uh power books and stuff compared to plastic devices even sometimes compared to their own supposedly lesser plastic devices uh, and certainly compared to other you know random pc manufacturers and stuff and same thing with the phones like the 3gs was a full plastic back and it had you know a good radio reception the original iphone they had to make half of the thing the back of the thing plastic to get let it out now, I guess they're minimizing the region they need to do that. Like, you know, they, they, one of their, the iPhone 4 was a clever solution. But it's like, look, we can't, we can't make the aluminum radio transparent. I've got an idea. Let's make the antenna on the outside. It will make it such a beautiful antenna that it actually is part of the design. That really is brilliant from a design perspective. Like, mm-hmm. let's, no, no, guys, let's stop trying to poke holes in our beautiful case. Let's make the antenna the case and we'll make it a beautiful antenna. You won't even know it's an antenna and not so great because you touch it with your hands. <laughs> And they solved it with the 4S with yeah. like, okay, well, if you touch this part, we'll use that antenna. If you touch that part, use this antenna. And it really takes a lot to try to cover both of them. And, you know, but uh, when it was time for a new design, the external antenna went away. Uh, they went with a solid aluminum thing uh, that helped them to make it thinner. So it's not like sort of a sandwich type thing. But they had to have those regions on the back and the front. I don't think that's a big deal, but 
I would say like the struggle continues to either find a different material or find a way to integrate all the things they need. And and the the thing that's next up on their plate is presumably someday if they decide to put NFC into it, like if they have a solution that requires NFC, and again, we talked about in the past show, you know, Apple's not the type of company to just throw NFC in there for the hell of it. They're going to have to have a plan. Whenever they come up with that plan, they'll probably need a bigger region for the NFC antenna if they want it to work well because of the uh, wavelengths involved and looking at all the uh, existing NFC antennas, they're very large. I don't know what their solution is. You can't use an aluminum unibody like that if you want to have a big giant NFC antenna in there. So I assume, as we talked about, and someone sent some feedback on the last show, no NFC in the iPhone 5 probably also means no NFC on the iPhone 5S or whatever they'll call the next iPhone if it continues to follow the same pattern as the 3G, 3GS, 4 But you don't, like, you don't really like speculating, so... I do like speculating, but like, you know, that it's, <laughs> I think this case will be with us for at least one more generation. I don't, I think that's a pretty safe bet. And if it is, that means there's no NFC in that one either, which isn't, isn't a big deal. But then when it time, comes time for the iPhone 6 or whatever, if, if Apple feels like now is the time to do something with NFC, they, those poor designers have, have a problem. Like, yeah. oh, all right, what's, you know, we did the external antenna, we did aluminum with antennas on top and bottom. Now, Ugh, yeah, I, I feel for them, but that's that's what design is about. It's tough. Um, what do you think? What do you think of the back? But not to interrupt you, what do you think of the back of the phone, like aesthetically being the anodized aluminum? I it's hard for me to say without seeing it in person because you can't really trust Apple's photography slash three D renders. Uh, this eternal debate about how much photography and how many three D renders Apple's use goes on. I think on a press show I had mentioned this. Some people think that all of product, Apple's product photography is really 3D renders, and I knew that not to be the case because, you know, I, I know of some photographers who work for Apple to take these photographs, and they're very good at what they do and take very, use very careful lighting, but it's clear that some things are 3D renders. I tweeted earlier in the week the picture of the lightning connector, mm-hmm. which I said in the tweet is either the worst 3D render Apple has ever published or the best photograph. And I mean the best <laughs> as in, like, that looks unreal. Is that a real photograph? Like, I guess it could be poorly retouched photograph as well, but so many of these close-ups on the phone look like 3D renders. Like the the really close-up one on Apple's product page, where mm-hmm. is that one? Yeah, like where it's zoomed in on the camera. Yeah. That that could be real and retouched, but it sure as heck looks like a, you know, or not 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 even a 3D render. It could be just like an Illustrator file, as many people are someone just drawing that with a, with a vector illustration mm-hmm. program. Um, well, one of the reasons I ask is a, a article came out uh, by friend of the show, Arnold Kim, over at Mac Rumors link will be in the show notes where there is a uh i guess somebody and it's it's not clear but it looks pretty intense yeah it, it is intentional they got an iphone 5 and intentionally scratched the heck up out of it and uh they used it says they used keys and a sim card tray pin and scratched the back of the black iphone's anodized aluminum cover and it shows that it is just a coating, and that once it's scratched, you see the silver color coming through. And that they also mentioned that the edges of the back of the phone, which are anodized aluminum at the right angle going toward the sides of the phone, that those are already sort of showing wear, and those very maybe very quickly will show wear uh, on, on those edges there just from like being in your pocket or being rubbed up against a, something. 
Yeah, my anodized aluminum, that's what it is. It's like they use some... I, Something I'm to sure make Look at the Wikipedia, but some sort of electrochemical process to make, uh, to change the pigment of the stuff. To, but it's not, I mean, it's if it's solid aluminum, they're not getting pigment into the middle of the aluminum somehow. Like, right. the, you know, uh, I that would be a different process than anodizing. I guess they'd have to like melt it down and try to incorporate it or whatever. Uh, the aesthetics of it new... Again, I'll have to see it in person because in product shots, it looks unreal and I'm sure it looks beautiful and everything like that. But I'm the fact that it might scratch and look strange, it really depends on how it scratches. Like you remember that picture of the original iPhone that we had in the show notes for a past show of whoever had their original iPhone for like right, years. Right, they and still years. It had it. And, yeah. It was all scratched to hell. And, you know, is a question of does that look beautiful to you or does it look ugly? Like one scratch might look ugly, but like, five, excuse me, 500 scratches might look nice, right? Yeah. Same thing with the edges. Like, maybe when it gets all worn down around the edges, it'll look really cool and it'll make you feel good things about it. Or maybe it'll just look crappy and dinged up. Uh, so we'll see. If I was going to get one of these, which I think I'm probably not, I would still probably get the black one. Uh, because I don't like the white front. It's not so much about the back. Uh, that, that leads me to the next point about the external design point that I've made previously about other iOS-based devices and Apple's portable devices is... I still feel like Apple is making the core of the device, not the device itself. And, and, you know, I think I've made this analogy before. It's like the G4 cube where you could pull out the the innards of the computer. That's the part that Apple makes. They don't make the stuff around the outside. They just make the computing core. It has the screen. It has all the ports on it. It's the computing core of your device. But you don't use it like that. Like, surely you wrap it in something. Uh, And the reason I say that is because the materials they make it out of aren't the best materials for something that you hold in your hand, mostly because they remain slippery. They're not particularly grippy. Like, they're tough, they're sturdy, they feel good, feel expensive. Uh, they may or may not be scratch-resistant. Like, the glass was pretty good in terms of wear and tear, except for that whole cracking issue. But, like, it, it seems like that if you're going to make something that's handheld, one of your primary concerns would be make it so it doesn't slip out of your hand easily. Or like for me with my iPod Touch, it's not so much slipping out of the hand easily as make sure that it has, you know, a good coefficient of static friction between it and other surfaces. So you can put your iPod Touch on the curved arm of your sofa and not be like, oh, I got to get it exactly on the top of the arm of the sofa. Because if it's a little bit off, it will slide, slide, slide and then crack onto the wooden floor. Right. Or, or you know, but just rest, resting on your knee or putting it anywhere. Even if you're just putting it on a table, if it's super slippery, like the back of the 3GS with a little curved back or the mm-hmm. 3G, if you just like, if someone knocks it with their finger, goes skittering across the table and falls off, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> Whereas if the back of the thing was made of, you know, silicone rubber or something, if you knock it with your finger, it probably won't even move at all or it'll move like an inch and stop dead, right? The properties of a handheld, very delicate, multi-hundred-dollar thing that will crack if it falls onto a hard floor should not be a really hard, totally smooth back. Uh, it doesn't mean that the iPhone is a bad design. It just means that, like, they're giving you the option. Like, if if they had made the whole thing with a big rubber coating, like, it would, you know, get ugly, and it would be ugly to start with. It would get ugly and get all torn up, and then you'd be up a creek, and what if you didn't want a rubber coating, right? But if they give you just the core of the device, you have the option of adding whatever you want to it. Buy a plastic case, buy a rubber case, make it blue, make it pink, you know, buy a hard case, snap on a, a thing that has a battery connected to it, like, the entire third-party market is open, and they're like, Apple's, you know, Apple is just selling you that beautiful, naked, little robotic, mechanical core, and you decide what you want to wrap on around it. And if the outside gets all screwed up, you can replace it. 
by the outside that you like. And then what you're doing is you're preserving this little core. And yes, you have the option to use it with nothing on it. If you decide that thinness and lightness is is uh, worth the trade-off in it not being slippery, you can do that because you can't really make a non-slippery device this sturdy and this thin. You can make it this thin, but it wouldn't be as sturdy. And if you incorporate rubber into the back of it, you'd probably have to sacrifice some sturdiness. And once that rubber wears out, like is your whole thing dead, you have to have a replaceable peel-off rubber thing. Like this... Apple never articulates this, but this has to be in their mind when they're making this thing. Is that, you know, we think you should just use it as is. It's perfectly fine. There are no bumpers for it or anything like that. And the bumper is really about antenna issues and not about, you know, the bumper actually left the back exposed and everything like that. But at least the bumper had grippy rubber around the edges. So there was some acknowledgement of that. But it's like, if we if we sell it to you with the stuff on it, you have no choices. Now at least you have a choice and you can make that choice. But thus far, Apple is not making the choice to address this particular concern about the physical design of their handheld products. They're just, they're not in that game at all. There's, we're not, we're sticking with slippery. <laughs> they're pretty committed to it because we don't, we don't want to even address that. I hope someday, eventually, <laughs> as this thing becomes like the size of a credit card, they will have the design flexibility to say, now, finally, guys, it's time for us to address the slipperiness issue. We have the space. We can do it. Let's do it now. And it's difficult because Anything that's not slippery is necessarily going to wear away uh, and get, you know, be, be damaged much more easily. Do you think that's that's, that's the main that's the main reason that they do it then? Yeah, like because you can't you can't make you can't make a beautiful, thin, sturdy phone that's also really grippy because all the grippy materials are softer. That's what makes them grippy. Like they're, you know, they they have surfaces that are soft and grip onto things. Sturdy things are hard and hard things are, you know, don't don't indent and grip onto the rough surface of the table. Like so it's. It's a complete, you know, opposite ends of the axis here, but they've they've just been slippery from day one and they're still sticking to that. I think I'll talk more about the slipperiness when we get to the iPod touch, which I'll also want to talk about as part of this. Um sponsor break? Sure. Because I don't I feel like the show could end at any minute. If you knew how far down I was in my notes so far, you wouldn't be worried about that. But yeah, that was, that was like the second bullet point. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm really, like, I'm really, you know, like I, I feel like you, you know, you're trying, you're trying to, it's crunch time now. Okay. It's like the night before the, the test and you haven't studied yet. Yeah. Hover.com, second sponsor, simplified domain management. I love these guys. And uh, I want to, before we do this, they called me up yesterday and they said, listen, your audience is the best audience in the world. They, they, they told us that they're, they're thrilled with how uh, you guys have been listening to us tell you about Hover and, and going there and registering your domains and using the discount. It means a lot to me and to all of us at 5 by 5 that you guys are checking these guys out. And they, they really are great. They're my, my own registrar of choice and have been for a while. And I'm, So a big thanks to you guys for for supporting the show by uh, by checking these guys out but they really are great and the thing i want to tell you about with these guys is uh is their transfer service i mean everybody knows you get an idea for a new domain you can go there you simple site elegant site straightforward site and all you do is you just type in the domain you want or just some keywords just a phrase just a one word and they'll come up with some cool examples that's great for the new domain name registration stuff but a lot of us have domains that we've already had for a while that's still a good way to try out Hover. Try transferring a domain over. They make it super simple to do this. And they even have this thing called uh, Transfer Valet Service. 
they will handle the whole transfer process for you. So you don't have to do it. You don't have to figure it out. And it's free. They don't charge for that. And when you do transfer it, it, you're not starting over from scratch. You keep all the time that's already there at your current registrar, and you're adding a year to that. You don't lose that time, John. So go to hover.com slash Dan sent me, or just use the code Dan sent me when you're in the, the, the checkout process for the transfer. You'll get 10% off. I transferred a bunch of stuff over and it's super easy. You can transfer a bunch of domains at one time. So go check them out. Hover.com slash Dan sent me. And thanks to everybody who has checked them out and is continuing to check them out. It really helps us. It supports the show and, uh, and they're a great company. So hover.com. They should emphasize that more on their website because I transferred a bunch of stuff there. And I think I transferred it only after hearing one of your ads for Hover on one of the other shows, emphasizing the fact that you don't lose the time right. that you had on the previous thing. And I'm like, oh, oh, I didn't. Emphasize, yeah, you would I think it's rea- like I you didn't realize that. I assumed that I wouldn't because, you know, right. companies. And so I, you know, I transferred a bunch of stuff keep, over. Keep your time. Did you use the code? You're eligible. This was way back. I don't even, I don't think I did use the code. I, I used it recently when I, uh, yeah. or something but when i was doing the i was doing the transfer story in the great the great uh exodus from uh, the unnamed yeah the British company girl. who shall be unnamed who did right when, who when did we were all doing things. that <laughs> yeah and, that, and at that time i think i think they were a sponsor of your shows at that time weren't they what is that what is that i do live near an air force base and so when i hear things like that i assume it is hanscom air force base military planes of some kind like a ufo like a testing like a secret like no, you can usually see them in the sky. They're not secret. They're just plain old military planes. Like uh, also uh, on like uh, the Fourth of July or September Eleventh uh, anniversary or Patriots Day or the Super Bowl or any any sort of thing or some big you know big Patriots football game, they will occasionally have you know they have the jets fly over like the football stadium and stuff like that. It's a bunch of F eighteen Hornets that fly over in That's formation. That's the best, man. I love that. I love it when uh, you do. You're not really expecting it, and they did. <laughs> Yeah, and those are really loud. And anyway, uh, sometimes if, if that's happening in the local area, although maybe they even do it when they fly over things in New York, because uh, I don't know how long it takes to fly from, uh, from the Boston area to New York if you're in an F-18. But anyway, if they do, when they do it in the local area, those things take off from Air Force Base uh, north of Boston, and they fly down to wherever they need to go, which takes them like two minutes, and they fly over my house. And it's noisy. So that's probably what that was. What is the top speed for a McDonnell Douglas F-A-18? 18 Hornet. I'm going to go with uh, Mach 2.6. Am I right? The FA-18 has a top speed of Mach 1.8. 1.8? Oh, yeah. The F-15 Strike Eagle probably has a higher top end speed, but the yeah, the, uh, the F-18 is slower. I can't believe this. Not even over two? You know why? Because they got to make the Navy version to land on carriers. That's why. Look up the f 15 because now i don't i can't trust you anymore f 15 has got to be over too it's got to be let's see air superiority fighter all right let's see what we got here they don't even make it anymore but no they don't make f 15 e or whatever the maximum speed is mach 2.5 plus there you go all mm-hmm. right i got it. Yeah, they didn't want, they didn't want the to tell plane. you if they didn't if they told you the true top speed yeah, then the yeah. soviets would know yeah. <laughs> yeah i remember a buddy of mine used to be the uh not, I guess, well, I, don't, I don't know the rank. You know all the military ranks, right? But I he was like a... From playing Falcon on Okay, in, in the Navy, he was a, <laughs> can I say first officer? Does that mean anything? I don't know. I don't he was know the, the first the... officer of one of these uh, carriers. And he was telling me how fast it could go. And he's like, I forget what it was. I'm going to make up a number. Maybe this is preposterous. But he says, you know, he wouldn't tell me the exact speed. 
I'm the like, carrier well, itself, you mean? Yeah, like how fast it could go. Yeah. And I said, well, how fast can it go? I said, well, I can't tell you how fast. That's right. I said, well, you've been out of the Navy for like a decade, dude. Just tell me. I'm not going to rat you out. He's like, I cannot do that. I said, okay, well, I respect that. He says, upwards of 40 knots or whatever whatever the number was, upwards of that. Yeah. If If we pull out all the stops... Upwards of that. Like, what does that mean, pulling out all the stops? I can't go into detail. <laughs> so. So you didn't even ask him if it also transformed into a helicopter? <laughs> no, I didn't. All right. Well, <laughs> I don't want to tell you about that at all. Yeah. All right. Uh, that was up by the Chattooga. Back to our iPhone. Okay. Still on the outside. Physical design of the sucker. Uh, the connector. The lightning connector. Kind of disappointed in the name because I think it, it sows confusion with thunderbolts in the mind of consumers. But they I, do you think it was? Isn't that a little too cutesy for Apple? Really? It's it's not cutesy. It's bad because <laughs> it, thunder thunderbolt and lightning with all the you know the jokes people are gonna make. Like when someone go is that you have the thunder like they're gonna get mixed up in people's minds yeah. really easily. Which and is they're, which? They're so incredibly different. They're you know, it's funny, but you're, you're right about that. Like to us, a thunderbolt and a lightning connector, n- no relation to each other at all. But can't you imagine somebody going into a store yeah, and saying, "Yes, yeah, I, well, I need that thunderbolt uh, cable that for my uh, my." And all the poor Apple Store people are like, "Oh, do you mean the lightning bolt yeah. connector? What are you going to connect it to? And like, you're going to connect your phone. Which phone do you have? All right, I don't know which one. Is it is it is it tall like this? I don't know. It could be. It looks kind of like that. Is it metal on the back? I don't know. It's just like black and it's in a case and I can't tell. Like how you know." Obviously, lightning doesn't the connector doesn't look like the dock connector. So if you just show them, look, is, is it does it have a big hole in the bottom that's this big? No, that you know, but that's you know they'll deal with it. It's their own problem. Uh, but the, the connector itself, still having not seen one in person, but now having seen all Apple's close up photography of it, uh, it's clear to me that a lot of the that I, I think it's going to be more secure than I thought it would be. Uh, was I talk, when I was talking about the connector back when it was a rumored connector, I said I was a little bit concerned about the amount of friction that it might have to keep it in because the dock connector, the 30-pin dock connector, is so wide and so big, and it originally actually had hooks to keep it in, and they decided, you know what, you don't need the hooks. There's enough friction from all the surface area and all these pins that this thing will stay in pretty well on its own. Uh, it'll just make it precise, make it go right in. As long as you don't, If you're not pulling it exactly straight out, tremendous amount of friction, it won't come out at all, and it just, it'll stay in well. We don't even need the hooks. And this, there's like so much less surface area uh, I, I worried and it was so smooth looking and didn't have all the nooks and crannies and didn't have the little tiny pin things and stuff like that. Just had eight little contacts. I worried that it was going to be a problem. Uh, but if you see the close-up shots, but I'm still looking for it now. Do they have a close-up of it on the, uh, the store you found, somewhere? Didn't you tweet about it the other day that you went into their PR section and found a whole bunch of the... the yeah, yeah. I, I always do that for their PR pictures. I, by the way, I have, I've been collecting pictures from... I don't know if people know this, but if you go to apple.com slash PR... There's always a link that says uh, images for media or product images or whatever. And there they have had for many, many years now giant, super high resolution TIFF images of all of their products. And I've been downloading those dutifully and throwing them into a folder for years. And then someone else contacted me on Twitter and said, hey, I've been doing the same things. And by the way, I've been renaming all the pictures and organizing them into folders. And they sent me their entire collection. Uh, So now I have a much better organized collection, which has all the same photos as mine, but like uh, neatly put into folders with uh, nice file names. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I pulled them down there. Although now that I'm looking at that section, I don't see the lightning bolt connector there. Did someone just paste it into the chat room? No, they just posted no. joke videos to yeah, YouTube. They don't, but anyway, they don't care. 
at the very tip of the lightning bolt connector, which is very, very small, and you can only see this on Apple's zoomed in product photography, there's two little dents in the sides of the tips. Like, you know, it's a flat, it's a flat little thing, but the, the sides of the flat edges have two little dents, and that's for little, I'm assuming, metal balls to click into. So when you roll the thing in, when you shove the connector in, you're not relying on the friction between the sides of this little metal connector, which is actually very, very small, to hold it in. There's actually little metal balls in there that you, you press it up against. The balls press in, the connector fall, goes all the way to the end of its travel, and the balls click into those little dents and hold it in nice and securely. And uh, on Charlie Rose last night, where our friend John Gruber was appearing with David Pogue from the New York Times, at one point David Pogue held his iPhone 5 uh, by the cable with right. the with the lightning bolt connector into the thing, showing that like you know it, you can support the weight of not that the phone weighs a lot, but it can support the weight of the phone. Uh, it is plenty secure. It looks like and again, not having seen it in person, it looks like this design is they, they've taken this into account, and it, it, those little balls would probably also make it feel like a nice positive, like little. I'm not going to say snicked because I don't want to. <laughs> you don't want to anger Merlin. I, I don't want to make Merlin appear. <laughs> but a nice little. <laughs> a nice little clipping sensation or like a, a positive lock. And lots of people speculate, like, maybe it'll have magnets and, and to keep it in there. Apparently, no magnets. Uh, just good old physical force with little ball bearings. And so I give the, the lightning bolt connector, aside from the name, I give it a big thumbs up, having not seen it in person yet. Because as we've discussed previously, I hated the dock connector. It was totally time to get rid of it. The... I wouldn't say it's a brouhaha. It's whatever's underneath brouhaha. Is a kerfuffle more than brouhaha? I don't know. <laughs> the the chattering about, oh, they changed the connector. And this even came up on the Charlie Rose interview, which I could not believe. Like, come on, Charlie. It's not. What about this connector? Oh, no, it won't connect to all my stuff. Like, they had this connector for a decade, people. It's obviously disgusting and old. Things you, Don't you want the new connector? Things have to change. They kept it. They kept it for a decade. And like things have to change. Oh, no, you're breaking all my stuff and all my cars and all the docks and the hotel. Yes, that's that's progress. Like you don't have PS2 ports on your PC anymore either. At least I hope you don't. I mean, VGA ports go away. Hold on. I have to have them on protectors. Like it's called progress. It happens. And you can't complain that this progress is like, oh, it's just progress is fine. But it's just this, this, you know, this treadmill I'm on just constantly changing these connectors. Like every time I buy something, you come obsolete. You had 10 years. Of stuff with the same exact freaking connector. <laughs> it's ridiculous. If you want to have a complaint about something, it would be not that the connector changes, but that Apple kept changing like the bottom profile of its devices. Remember like the universal dock connector thing where they have those little plastic inserts and crap and like you'd you'd buy something like a clock where your thing goes into it, but then Apple would redesign the phone and the connector is the same, but the physical body of it didn't. That at least is a legit complaint. It's like every two years or so or so, depending on how much room the manufacturer's left around that dock connector port, your old your new thing might not fit. And the other one that used to drive me nuts was that if you have your iOS device or your iPhone and you put a case on it, then all of a sudden a whole class of things don't fit anymore. Not because the connector has changed, but just because there's not as much physical space because the the you know the case is bulky and stuff like that. And that's kind of one of the things that annoyed me about like Apple making just the core of the device is most of their accessories would only work with the naked device. So once you choose to put a case on it, then like your docks don't work or they yeah. kind of work, but it doesn't quite click in the right way. And that's, you know, that's got to be one of the reasons that Apple's not making docks anymore. Someone emailed like Apple or Phil Schiller and they said, no, we're not making a dock for it. Uh, as if you didn't need to know that, you know, because the cables, the cable, as long as there's enough room around the little connector, like for the cutout in the case, the cable will go in. It was a problem with when it was like a dock or something else where it integrated into it and it touched other parts of the phone. That's when it was a problem. So 
no one's going to take their case off to plug their phone into charge or something like that. So the cables are obviously better than the docks uh, in dealing with these variable outsides of the uh, of the devices. Uh, and the other thing about Lightning, when they came up with a name, the other thing that annoyed me is like, what's what's so Lightning about it? Like, if anything, <laughs> Thunderbolt Thunderbolt should have been called Lightning because Lightning is like it's fast. You know, it's grease Lightning, right? It's or it. There's nothing. There's nothing fast about it. Thunderbolt is really fast, but you don't think of speed so much as Thunderbolt. Like lightning should be the name for the super fast, expensive bus on the high-end computers. And then you, I guess you call the low-end one. Uh, Thunderbolt doesn't work for such a dainty little connector. I don't know. I don't know what they're doing with the naming, but the point is this thing is not faster. Like the cable that you get, it's USB 2 at the other side of it. It's not USB 3. Um, certainly not Thunderbolt or any of those other theories. Like it's not any faster. And I think there is a need for speed here because, you know, this... Things take a long time to sync. Like when everyone was backing up their devices before they upgraded to iOS 6, you know, you, you go into iTunes and you right click on backup or whatever and you wait a long time. It takes a long time to transfer 32, 64 gigs of stuff off of your device over a USB 2 connection. It just takes a long time. And if that could be faster, that would be better. Uh, now, the good thing about this connector, since it's proprietary and blah, 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 is that there's nothing precluding Apple from supporting faster transfer speeds on the same connector in the future. And I'm assuming... They built it with that in mind. They kept emphasizing that it's a, an all-digital interface. But I think I talked about this on, on the, the uh, special after the thing. Like, uh, you know, ooh, all-digital. It just means they removed all the analog stuff, making the connector less useful. But, like, and it's an adaptive interface. But, like, it's totally up to Apple. They just have connectors and wires. And I'm assuming they built this thing knowing, okay, not in this phone, but in the next one, we'll support USB 3 with the same connector. It'll work fine. It'll be backward compatible. Uh, and that'll do it. And someone tweeted right before the show that the internal flash memory on the iPhone is not even fast enough to saturate USB 2. In other words, you can't get that 32 gigs of stuff off of the phone any faster, even if it did support USB 3. Uh, so if, if the system on a chip supported USB 3 and Thunderbolt support and, and Lightning, say I'm doing it too, and Lightning supported USB 3, it still wouldn't help you back up your iPod or iPhone faster because it's going, USB 2 can already support the full transfer speed of the flash storage. Which may be the case, I have no problem believing that, but I really believe that the next phone or the one after will support USB 3 and will have a faster system on a chip or faster flash memory or both that can support it with the same connector. You know, as Apple said, they want this to be the connector for the next 10 years. And it's I think they have a good design, uh, a good chance, a good shot at that because because it is proprietary, because there is no spec that it has to conform to. Uh, that was another thing where people were saying they should have used micro USB mm -hmm. because that's like the standard in Europe and blah, blah, blah. But like, you know. There's so many reasons why you wouldn't want to do micro USB. I put in two good links into the show notes uh, from someone whose name I'm not going to remember. <laughs> Was it Rainier oh, Brockerhoff? Rainier Brockerhoff? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, Brockerhoff. Yeah, yeah. That's He's it. actually a, a famous guy in the world of uh, old school Mac stuff, apparently. Nice. Made a little uh, little place for himself. He worked on, someone's saying he worked on the software for an original Mac clone like a clone of the original like five well not the original mac with a 512k mac in brazil or something where they couldn't get they couldn't import them so they had to make their own sort of mac and he did the software for it or something like that i'm mm -hmm. sorry if i'm getting this story totally wrong but anyway google him after you go to his link or go to his about page and learn all about him he's an interesting person uh but he had a good uh exploration of the reasons they might have changed it. the obvious one of course the only reason apple needs is that that lets you have an accessory market that's locked into your device. I mean, duh. Like, it's just, you know, business 101. Obviously, they want, you know, so they can certify you. You can't use the connector without this. It's they, they you know, 
patented it or whatever they could do to trademark it. And, you know, you can't just make an accessory without going through Apple. And Apple likes that because they like to control the accessory market, you know, for chargers and all of this stuff. It makes it makes a, a vibrant ecosystem of uh, third party things to, uh, to buy. And third parties like that and Apple's like that and everybody likes that, except for, of course, customers. But, you know, obviously they're going to pick that. But that wasn't, you know, that even though that reason is sufficient, there are even more reasons. One of them is that if you make up your own crazy connector, you can change the speed however you want. So Apple is free to do USB 2 now, USB 3 later. They could probably also do that with micro USB, but they have the option of you going even faster than this or doing some in-betweeny thing that's like in-between. Who knows what they'll do, well, right? It's like you said, it's very Apple to to do their own connector and, and not go with anything else. It gives them more flexibility, flexibility. And, you know, and control. You know how much they love control. Like they don't want to be beholden to anyone else. Uh, uh, but another reason is that uh, micro USB doesn't uh, carry as much amperage for charging, so your device would charge slower. Like this one can run like with two amps or something. I think micro USB USB only does one amp. Uh, I don't know if I'm getting those numbers right, but faster charging, like, is that's an important end user feature? You know, people saying, "Oh, I want micro USB." Well, do you want your phone to take twice as long to charge? Is that would you accept that trade off? Just so you can say you have a quote unquote standard charging connector. I doubt people. You know, they want it to charge faster. It's supposed to be a better experience. So if you're going to make a crazy proprietary connector to lock people into your accessory ecosystem, at least make it a better connector. And I think this connector is better than micro USB. You know, the charging thing alone makes it better. But even, you know, if you ever used a micro USB connector to connect into your camera or whatever, yeah. to get things off of it, sure, it's a, like a little bent piece of metal in this awkward shape. It only goes in one way, which I've mostly been a fan of, like in the past shows that it, it make it externally asymmetrical so it only goes in one way. But when you get to a certain size, the asymmetry is not visible. Like it's, you have to really stare at the end of it. You can barely feel it with your fingers and you have to look at the connector and make sure they're both going in the right way. Like at a certain size, you've got to make these things symmetrical because the asymmetry is just too darn small to matter. Uh, and shoving a sort of thin metal thing cut into a ring inside to another thin metal ring, it's not a nice experience because they don't, they have sharp edges and they don't like, there's no sort of, uh, taper to let them slide into each other they, they, you know if you don't put it in exactly straight you're just butting the edges up against each other with the scrapey feeling and then you kind of oh there it goes it went in it's not it's not a good experience uh the lightning connector with its rounded edges and the you know rounded more friendly uh receptacle it just seems like it's it's a better connector in every possible way certainly more sturdy because i don't know if you've ever bent those little corrugated metal things in the micro usb but i have and that's not a good experience either because it's not it's very thin metal uh, the lightning connector inverts it. It's not a ring of thin metal with contacts inside it. It's it's still thin, but it's a, it's a solid piece of metal with contacts in it, which I assume is much sturdier than those little rings of metal in micro USB. So I'm very glad that Apple went with its own connector instead of micro USB because micro USB is among the worst kind of connectors you could have. Not as bad as the dock connector, mind you, but <laughs> it's certainly not it, it's certainly not the kind of connector I would design. Uh, and the fact that some large government consortium picked it as a standard should let you know everything you need to know about the quality of this uh, device because anytime governments need to pick some sort of technology standard you can rest assured that it is not all it could be i don't know i don't want to slam minitel or something and have the french people uh, send me angry emails but that's another example all right uh screen the screen the screen this is something that I can't really say too much about without having it in my hand because the real the real question is, uh, do you just get used to it being taller? Uh, and is the process of getting used to it being taller 
does it involve hand shimmying? Like that's what it comes down to, you know, like it, it, people feel like with the 3.5 inch thing, oh, I can reach anywhere on the screen with my one hand with my thumb, right? Uh, and then, oh, it's a little bit taller. I just got to do one more like little adjustment. You can do it with one hand. You just you do hand shimming. You shimmy your hand up, you shimmy your hand down. Now, the thing is, I do hand shimmying with a 3.5 inch screen because I don't know if I have shorter thumbs or I hold it the wrong way. You know, it's going back to guitar stuff where my hands, my, my, my fingers are not on the, the, the back of the neck correctly. And so I don't have the kind of reach that I should, you know, uh, I, I hand shimmy with a 3.5. So maybe with a, with a four inch screen, the hand shimmy will just be a longer distance. Will I do double shimmy? Uh, really have to spend time with a screen like this for a couple of weeks to see, does it just become second nature? Because I, I think a lot of the people who have the 3.5 are like, oh, I can reach everywhere on the screen. It's not a big deal. I think they are unconsciously hand shimmying anyway, <laughs> even on the 3.5. That, that's, my, that's my assertion. It could be people with very long thumbs aren't, but really... Yeah, I mean, just pick up... Pick up a, if you have one near you now, pick up a 3.5-inch screen and hold it in your hand and like reach from the, 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 the bottom corner to the top corner, the two corners that are most distance from most distant from your thumb. Yeah. I, I can do it, but I know if I had to do something, you know, even if it's just reaching for the ones that's closest to the palm of your hand on the bottom, like I'll hand shimmy to get that one. I, my thumb maybe is, is not as flexible as other people's or doesn't bend as much or doesn't have extra joints in the middle, but hand shimmying is part of using these devices in one hand. Yeah. And I just feel like it will it perhaps be a bigger part of this. So I'm, I'm going to say wait and see on that. Wait until I get uh, something with a four-inch screen and I will give you a hand shimmying update. Uh, Oh, and yeah, integrating the touch sensors uh, into the surface, more stuff to try to make the thing thinner. I'm always afraid that this type of integration will make the touch sensors less sensitive. Apparently, that's not the case with a screen, although I was was hearing about some, I don't think it's Apple, but some other company (laughs) has new more sensitive touch sensors that allow you to actually use it if you're wearing like thin gloves. Right. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, I think it was Nokia because, or however you emphasize the syllables in their name, uh, because they are from a country where it's cold. And so you can wear some sort of reasonable gloves that don't have any special properties and still be able to use your phone. Like the demo was like, you know, you put some cloth over your hand and, and, you know, double it up and you can still use the touch screen. I worry about that because, like, well, does that mean more inadvertent touches or is the noise higher on the screen? People are saying it's the Lumia 920 that has this uh, uh, higher sensitivity screen. If that technology turns out to not have any downsides, I expect to see that coming up eventually because that's a, that's a reasonable selling point. Uh, you can use it with, with gloves on, not really super thick gloves, but with thin gloves, and wouldn't that be nice? I think it would be nice. And so, you know, we're always talking about, you know, Apple bonds the glass to the screen that makes it a little thinner. Now they integrate the touch sensor. It's not Apple doing this. This is the display manufacturers. Like, in the display manufacturers are sort of, not in lockstep, but they're all sort of advancing in uh, trying to do the same advancements and selling those advancements out to other people. Now, apparently, maybe someone tried to sell Apple. Oh, we've got this screen, and we've got the integrated touch sensor, and we also have this super sensitive one. Maybe Apple wasn't interested in that. Or maybe it had drawbacks, but so I'm I'm watching for that for the next round. If you're wondering what's going to happen next with the screen, uh, maybe that's it. More touch sensitivity, but for this time, it's integrating of the touch sensor, which makes it thinner. So you don't. It used to be like screen touch sensor glass, and then they said, you know, well we can bond the glass to the screen, and so that removes the air gap between those things. And now they got the touch sensor is not a separate layer; it's integrated into the display. So big uh, thumbs up on that. Thinner is better, especially when you're just making the core right. Um, and finally, on the 
phone. This doesn't really have anything to do with the uh, the case, but I figured we talk a little bit about maps. See what I meant about God knows how long this show will go. <laughs> Better do our last sponsor than now. We clear the air. All right. Our last sponsor is Squarespace.com. Everything you need to make an amazing website, fully hosted, completely managed. Everything you do over there, it's drag and drop. I mean, you can write code. If people like you want to write some code, you want to do some CSS, you want to do HTML, and do that. But that's not, that's not the selling point. The selling point is that you can do all of the things you want to do. You can totally customize the way that they work, and you can do it all without having to write any code. And you get the benefit of the engineers and the folks over at Squarespace who have made this work seamlessly. They've got responsive design so that if you use one of their templates and you customize it and you tweak it and you make it work the way you want it to work, and then you look at it on your new iPhone or on an iPad or on your Mac or your PC, whatever, it's going to look great. The screen's going to resize. You're not having a separate mobile version of your website. It's the same site. It just sized the way it should be sized. It's really, really, really great stuff. And they've paid attention to every single detail. Basically, you're just picking blocks of content. Oh, I want some photos here. I want video here. I want text here. You can integrate with social media, whatever it is you want to do. And this is why I love them, because they save time. Back in the old days, John, I used to write content management systems. That's really what I, I ran a business doing that for many years. I would build publishing tools for people. And the fact that I no longer have any interest in doing that is a testament to to Squarespace. I use them for the 5x5 blog. I use it for Big Week, which I blog every day. And you can go and you can import content from pretty much any other system out there. And that's really a good way. This is what I tell people when they say, well, I don't know if I like it. Well, try it. You can go there and you try it. You don't have to pay anything when you get started. I think they give you two weeks, 14 days to try it out. So you go there and then you import the content from your existing site. It'll import it right in and you try it. Try it out. Try running it. Try setting it up. They got a few different ways you can do this. You can pay 10. I mean, you get what you pay for and you pay for this 10 bucks a month. Well, if you want, you can sign up for a whole year and, uh, and you'll get 20% off. You sign up for two years, you get 25% off. And if you use the code Dan sent me nine, because this is ninth month, Dan sent me nine, you'll get 10% off whatever else you do there. So go check these guys out. Longtime supporters of uh, a five by five and you can, uh, you can go there and you can check it out. Special URL to use too if you want. Squarespace.com slash 5 by 5 Dan sent me nine, 10% off. Go check them out. The amazing iOS 6 Maps. Maps. This is the big controversial issue. Yeah, that is the title of the Tumblr blog. It's all one word. The amazing iOS 6 Maps.tumblr.com. It's in the show notes, which is a growing collection showing screenshots of Apple's new maps in iOS 6. This is, by the way, not just for the iPhone 5. It's for any device running iOS 6, including iPads, old iPod touches, everything. Uh, Shows screenshots of maps that are wrong in comical ways. Very often uh, showing the 3D view where they try to do like a, a topographic map that shows hills and valleys. And it shows hills and valleys in places where there should not be any hills and valleys. So roads look like they're extremely wavy. Uh, they have <laughs> they have shots from satellites or whatever of areas, but there's clouds covering them. So you just see a big white blob things in the wrong places, attractions in the middle of the ocean, cities hundreds of miles from where they should be, Japanese cities in Brazil, you know, all sorts of errors in map data and comical screenshots. And all this is about Apple 
no longer using Google's Maps data and with their own front end that they wrote to Google Maps, instead using their own map data with their own app front end to it. And the selling point in all the demos for iOS 6 was like, look at the 3D maps. We can fly around buildings and uh, see what they look like. And that is cool and it is fun to play with. But the boring part of maps is, does it know about all the streets? Do they go in the right place? Does it have all the place names and attractions correct? All of that stuff. Oh, and, and the other thing about the maps is they use vectors much more than the Google Maps did. The Google Maps that Apple was using were, uh, I think, almost entirely bitmap based, whereas Google had vector maps on some of its uh, devices, in my understanding. And turn by turn directions, which Apple did not have in its maps when it was using Google as the back end, but Google had on its Android phones for a long time. Right. So the first question is. And that really is, that really is the killer feature if you're driving. I mean, it, that's. That was the only reason that I didn't use or didn't readily use Google Maps as my primary. Why I ever felt compelled to have any kind of GPS system in my car was because I didn't have turn by turn. And it's one thing if you're like super familiar and you just want to see the route and you say, or route, as you would say, and you look at it and say, oh, okay, I need to go here, turn left. On All right, I got it. And then it's just sort of giving you the overview. But if you're doing a longer drive or if you don't want to have to worry about it, you've got to have that turn by turn. Now they've got it, but people yeah, are still and, not happy. And Apple had, you know, you could buy turn-by-turn turn GPS apps for iOS, but, they, you know, from TomTom or whoever, like, they sold them. It just didn't come with the phone, and Google's uh, phones came with it, like, as part of the built-in maps. I mean, I actually used, before iOS X, with iOS 5, I used my iPad as a GPS once when I was out somewhere for a friend's wedding. It didn't have turn-by-turn, turn, but if you have two people in the car, if you just go to the map, trace out the route, turn on the GPS and the compass thing and just keep it on your lap. You can see your little dot moving along the road and you can be the person who says, okay, there's a turn coming up on here. Okay, turn left. Like the device doesn't do it, you do it. So with a two-person crew, you can pull that off. But it wasn't quite the same thing. And we never did buy one of those uh, full GPS uh, apps for you. But the, the, the question about this entire thing that no one knows the answer to is why does Apple no longer have Google Maps? Uh, there are many plausible explanations not like it's a mystery like you know you can come up with many plausible explanations the problem is we don't know which of the many plausible explanations is the case is it the case that apple wanted to control its own destiny and booted google out is it the case that google would not give apple access to the good features of google maps like they wouldn't give them access to vector maps or they wouldn't give them access to turn by turn directions uh, is it some combination of the two where the two parties just couldn't negotiate a deal that they found that was good because Google wanted to retain some uniqueness for its stuff and uh, Apple didn't want to do that? Is it the case that Google was 100% willing to give Apple everything they wanted for free and Apple still told them to uh, you know, kick them to the curb so that they could be masters of their own destiny? All of those are completely plausible explanations, but no one knows what the actual situation is. That doesn't mean... The people haven't decided themselves in their own mind. And half of the controversy is some people have picked one of those possible explanations and decided that is definitely what happened for sure, even though I have no, no basis for this uh, opinion. And therefore, I hate one or the other. So if you believe that Google was 100% willing to give Apple access to every ounce of their mapping technology for free, but Apple said, no, forget it, we don't want you, then you blame Apple because the consensus is unquestionably that Apple's map data is not as good as Google's was. That's thus the Tumblr page making fun of everything. So if you believe that things went down, that Apple kicked them out, you know, you're saying, hey, Apple, because of your control freak tendencies and your need to control every single thing, <laughs> you kicked Google out. And now I have to, as a purchaser of your product, deal with these crappy maps. And that makes you mad at Apple. Uh, if you believe the other thing, 
that Apple never would have left Google if Google had given it access to like the good stuff, the turn by turn stuff and the vector maps and the 3D stuff. But Apple, but Google was saying, no, you can't have that. Only our Android phones can have that. Then Apple was forced if they wanted to remain competitive to do it themselves. And they're not really good at it. And their first run at the maps was kind of crappy. And now you blame Google for being so mean to Apple. Why won't you share your maps with them? Right. Uh, depending on who you believe, uh, and not who you believe, depending on what you believe, based on, again, no information, as far as I'm aware, neither party has made any statements on or off the record about what actually happened with these map things. Bottom line is, as a consumer, when you buy uh, a, a device that has iOS 6 on it, or when you upgrade a device that has iOS 6, your maps are worse than they would have been if you had an iOS 5 device, because previously you had Google Maps, and now you don't. Now, your alternatives are go to maps.google.com in the Safari browser to get access to that data. It's not as good as a native app. It doesn't even have all the features of the old iOS 5 native app for Google Maps, but it's there. Presumably, we all assume that Google will release a dedicated Google Maps app for iOS, probably for free. Uh, again, I don't think there's no statements definitively on either side of that we assume that apple uh, google will do it we assume that apple will allow it on the store and then you'll have an out for that but in the meantime you get your fancy new iphone 5 you get crappier maps than if you had gotten a 4s the only thing you have that they don't is 3d stuff which is neat but like i'm not sure how useful that is and uh turn by turn which is a really big feature but not so great if it doesn't have the roads you want and it has the city in the wrong place and stuff like that uh oh and you lose street view too so you can't zoom all the way down and see stuff from street level because Apple doesn't have anything to compete with that. Google sends cars around with cameras on the roof around all these roads and gets street view pictures, and you don't have that with Apple's things. Right. Uh, so I don't know which one of these theories is likely to be correct. Uh, if I had to handicap it, I would say it, the, the most likely situation is that Apple really felt like it needed to take control uh, of its maps not because Google was being mean to it and wouldn't give it access to these features, but simply because the same reason Apple wants to, to be the master of its own destiny in anything. Like, they feel like long-term, we need to be able to control things that are essential and part of our experience. Uh, and so, like, we should make our own CPU, we should, you know, control our own manufacturing, you know, like, a Apple is willing and able to partner when it can, but partnering with people who are, like, your biggest competitor, that's really touchy to do. And Apple, I think Apple felt like maps are something that are so essential to mobile products that we should try to get a handle on it and we can kind of get a handle on it. And I actually talked about this a little bit on the impromptu if, uh, if you go and download that episode. The, the idea that, you know, so we know Apple has this attitude. They really want to have control over its stuff, right? They don't want to rely on partners because that gets them into trouble and it just it's against their corporate culture these days. But where does that end? Like, for example, search, web search is an essential feature of a mobile device but does that mean apple is going to be like oh, we're not using google anymore we're going to make our own search engine thus far that's been you know hilariously of course not of course apple's not going to I mean come on they, they're going to you know they're going to make a google even microsoft you know couldn't do that that bing is like you know but that that is a real thing like apple relies on google to have really good web search uh, even siri who like you know it tries wolfram alpha and it's like you want me to search for that you know it's going to go to google uh, or actually does that go to bing i don't remember if it goes to but the point is it doesn't go to an apple service to search stuff apple is not in the business of indexing the entire world's information uh but maps seem like eh, 
Yeah, we could, you know, the earth is a bounded thing. It has a, a finite number of streets. <laughs> it, the, the streets don't grow quite as quickly as web pages. We could probably do that. And so many, many years ago, Apple started acquiring mapping companies and 3D mapping companies. And the rumors started and like, maybe they just want to make their maps better, or, you know, but, it, but it's clear like they had a multi-year plan to say, we need to be in control of maps. Like, you know, we, we need this to be our thing that we control entirely, that we don't have to talk about, you know, talk to Google about doing stuff and we don't have to go negotiate with them about partner agreements and it won't be a source of tension. And it's something that we can do. Since we can do it, let's do it. Like same thing with the web browser. The web browser is important. We're going to make our own. Now we're not relying on Netscape or Internet Explorer or whatever. We're masters of our own destiny. Uh, and so this multi-year plan culminates in the maps on iOS 6 and out of the gate, they're just not as good. You know, it's a hard problem. A lot of it has to do with getting the maps out there into the hands of real people in the real world. Like, you know, you say, what if what if Apple had held these maps back for three more years? Mm. After that, would they be as good as Google's maps? Almost certainly not, because during that three years, Google Maps would continue to get better and better as people use them and, you know, send in corrections and stuff like that. And that's what Apple has said officially in their statements, like, you know, they said some BS stuff like this is a cloud maps or a cloud, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Words that mean nothing. And they said the more people use maps, the better it will get, which is true in the long term. But it's not like it magically gets better. Like if they're totally missing all the roads in your development, you can hit a little button that says have a problem. You can say, yeah, you guys are totally like if if a name is wrong, you can send in a correction. But if they're just so far, like they're, they're, there's not even any roads there, like. Uh, you know, someone was saying on, on CNBC, I was watching a, a thing that Lex Friedman was on. Uh, the guy, the guy in the shot said, there's only like two roads on Martha's Vineyard. Yes, it's very important for the rich people. <laughs> ah, how, how can I my, my duck my yacht in Martha's Vineyard? I'll never know where the streets are. Yeah, the real concern of the real man on the line for uh, it's like, well, you know, this map doesn't have Martha's Vineyard. How can you sell a phone? It doesn't have Martha's Vineyard. It's such an important location for rich people. Um, if it's totally missing, all you can send it in is like, you guys suck. Look right here. And they'll look right there and go, you know what? We have nothing there. Like, you have to get that information somehow. You have to, you know, they're, they're I think they're partnering with TomTom for their map data or whatever. Like, it's kind of a shame there's all these separate companies trying to compile map data. There's only one Earth, right? And it wouldn't be great if we all, like, there's OpenStreetMap, which is kind of a collaborative effort that they're working on. But it would be great if we were all contributing to making a single pool of data better. But yeah. that's not how, you know, it's corporate advantage for you to have your own private data. And so Apple has its private data that it partners with, and Google has its data, and OpenStreetMap is used by both of them. And it's just, it's, it's not a great situation. But Apple is clearly way far behind in this. And people using it and making it better, like, eventually that will happen. But it's not like... Uh, people are drawing out streets with their fingers and correcting them. Like, there's got to be humans on the other side of this torrent of angry feedback about how terrible their maps are. And those humans have to do real hard work to fix things. Uh, like many people have tweeted, I'm sure the maps around Cupertino are really nice and accurate and everything is in the right place because that's where all the people tested it. But now you've got to get out into the hands of people all over the world. Like, I've heard it's way worse overseas where, you know, whole countries are just like practically not on the map are hilariously wrong. Right. Things, gonna, things that are you know taken for granted there like you know i think there was one example i saw that was like a it was like a pumping station you know like for i don't know water or something and they they apple had it marked as like a gas station and it was the only thing for miles and miles no roads leading to or from it i mean there's so many things that are just comically wrong yeah someone in the uk was like they had a a park or something called airfield 
<laughs> and they thought it was an airport. The name of the thing, and it was labeled as an actual airport. <laughs> and so now people are like, tourists are going to be like driving to this big open field looking for airplanes right. to take them home or something. Yeah, it, it's they have a long, long way to go, and it will be lots of hard work. And like with the cloud stuff, this is not Apple's forte, really. Like they like to be able to like acquire a company or partner with a company. It's like Apple's ideal partnering is where we don't have to do it ourselves, but we partner with you in such a way that you can't even acknowledge that we're in a deal with you. Like you can't even mention our name. And you just do whatever we tell you to do, but we don't have to deal with your business, right? That's their ideal version of partnering. It's like dominant partnering where it's like, just just be quiet. Give us what we want. Don't even tell anyone we talk to you. Your name is not going to appear anymore. You're going to have no logos. Your entire business is going to depend on us. And you can't open your mouth and say a damn thing. Like that's their ideal because then they're not responsible for doing it. All the responsibilities on the other company, that company is entirely dependent on them and they get all the credit. Uh, but for, and, and you know, if they have to, they'll buy them and integrate them. But like Apple's not good at this type of thing. Apple's forte is not uh, collaboratively edited or collected uh, data. Apple's forte is not sending out a bunch of cars to drive all the streets of America. Like that's not, you know, that's Google's thing and they do it much better. And there are a couple other companies that also collect map data. It's not like this is an online thing, but this is just something that's not Apple's strength. So they can make it their strength. Uh, they could partner with the right people or really drive their partners to excel or pay their partners tons of money and make them excel. And you know, here's a bunch of income, Tom, Tom here, you know, you, your, your company is going to basically become a wholly owned subsidiary of Apple. Only we're not going to own you. We're just going to own you because all your income comes from mm-hmm. us in the future because no one buys plain GPS anymore. Like, so get your act together and get good data. Uh, but it still strikes me as a shame. So there is a long, long road ahead of Apple to bring this, this map state up to date. And I fully suspect sometime in the next year or two years, there's going to be an Apple keynote where one of the things they emphasize is how much better their maps are. Like, you know, they'll say something, you know, that doesn't make, you know, say, well, I know a lot of people like complaints on our map, but now in iOS version 7 or 8, our map data is second to none. We believe we have the best map data in the entire world and look at these streets and we're even better than Google. And However that comes about, that talking point, that feature, that bragging thing to brag about will be in a future Apple keynote because Apple is totally committed to making their maps better, but how far away will that be? This year, next year, the year after? And in the meantime, Apple customers get crappier maps, uh, which is a shame. What are your theories on the existence of a Google Maps app? Now, recently, I think this was as late as uh, last night, uh, there is a Jim Dalrymple, who I do a show with called Amplified, uh, there is a he links to something that says on the rumor that Google has submitted an iOS six maps app and Apple is sitting on it. He and says nope. He says nope. Yeah. In, in the show notes, uh, so Apple is not sitting on an iOS six map, but that doesn't uh, from Google. But that doesn't mean that does not mean that there isn't still one in the works or maybe going to come out soon. I mean, I could have noped that one. I mean, that's that's a that's a no-brainer. I'm sure he's noping it based on info, but just based on common sense. It's like it's too early for that. I believe there will be an iOS. Maps Why do you app. say it's? Hang on. Why do you say it's too early? Because from everything I've read, again, it's all just speculation. I I my belief is that Apple decided to do maps on its own, and that in typical fashion, Google was like the last one to know about this. And Google didn't have time or didn't really have motivation to scramble to make their own Maps app. Because remember, the Google Maps app wasn't made by Google. It was made by Apple. Apple made that app. They just used Google Map data to do it. So it's not like 
Google could just release that app to the App Store. They have to write their own application. Uh, they did write their own YouTube app. That seems like uh, an easier task, and I think they got more warning about that because a YouTube app is not you know, rocket science. It's you know, a web view with a place where the video goes, and it's, a lot of it's just web display. A Maps app is more complicated, especially if you want to have cool 3D stuff and have the scrolling be efficient. And like, It's not just a web version in a little container, although I fear that the Google version of their Maps app will be like the Google version of their Gmail app, just the web view in a fancier container, but, but we'll see. But I, I feel like they don't... They, Certainly, the app wouldn't be sitting on it already. Like that, the Google submitted their Maps app uh, like weeks ago, and Apple's just been sitting there with his arms crossed, kind of like the Google Voice app, going, "Oh, we're studying it. We'll, we'll get back to you on that." Uh, if Apple is going to allow the Maps app through, I feel like they probably already decided that, and uh, I think they will eventually let it through. I think Google will submit it. It will eventually get up on the store after a normal review process, and it will be free. That is my current theory, based on nothing except for. You know, common sense and thinking of their own companies because they, you know they they allow third party GPS apps. I'm assuming they still allow third party GPS. Uh, the TomTom app will still be out there, although I don't know if they could still command ninety nine dollars or whatever they're charging for it. But uh, you know, that, that's what I think will happen in, in the Maps arena. And I'm I'm not sure how that will affect things because, like any third party app, it's not going to be as integrated as the real map. Yeah. Like when you if you tap on someone's address in your address book or whatever, I don't know how it takes you to Maps. But like all those things that take you to Maps are going to continue to take you to the built in Maps. They're not going to take you to your third-party map app that you installed, right? Uh, and the same thing with the, the transit directions, speaking of maps. Another thing that people are complaining about is no transit directions. And Apple tried to spin that as a positive. We're like, well, we'll leave that to third parties because there are dedicated third-party apps that are way better than like the built-in transit directions in Google. But built-in transit directions are better than no transit directions. And it's kind of like the, when you try to do transit directions in the map thing, it, it takes you to the App Store page with all these transit apps. And now you've got like, oh, but i got to like download this other app and then it goes somewhere on my home screen and then when I click on that, apparently the integration is pretty good. Like you'd click on the the transit thing in the Maps app and it takes you right out to the other transit app that you have related to it and then it takes you back to the map. But it's still, it's still not an Apple-like experience like hopping from one app to the other and the transit apps are all going to look different from each other. So it's not like you learn one of them and you've learned all of them and, it's, and all of them are going to be different than the native Maps interface. That's not great, but that's like, I don't, I don't know if they're admitting that they're never going to be able to do good transit or if they're saying that nobody's going to be able to do good transit because transit varies so much and is so so much a little picky in detail in different uh, municipalities that the only way to ever get an Apple-level transit direction experience is to allow it to go to third-party apps and then just like to harass those third-party app developers to make their apps actually good. Uh, but that's another another downgrade in directions. And I still feel like for all of Apple's work on this, Google's got the upper hand in terms of being good at collecting at collecting and managing huge amounts of data and having it be corrected and all that other stuff. So Google has a big head start. I think Apple can get good enough, but I will be very surprised if in the next three years, Apple legitimately actually has better map data than Google. I think Google has a big head start on them and it will continue to stretch out that lead, their lead, assuming they don't implode for some other crazy reason. Miss anything on maps? I don't think so. Yeah, maybe I'll save iPod Touch for next week. What do you think of that? Could be a neat topic. We're 82, Touch, 80, 80 plus minutes in, so. iPod Touch and iPod Nano, I'll talk about next time. Maybe they actually will be shorter. Have Did, did you purchase? I have iPod? not purchased anything. Uh, 
maybe by next week I will have seen them. Maybe I'll go visit them in the store. So yeah. I'll be able to, to flesh it out more. I'm assuming they have display models. I'm assuming the mo- the mobs haven't like come in and like pulled out all the iPhone 5 display models. <laughs> we don't have any left. I'll take the display model. Give it to me. I bet. That, I don't know. I'm sure they have one. At least one. Maybe a white, a white one and a black one. Yeah. And you got to get close to it with all the people around. But yeah. yeah. But by this time next week. But maybe aren't I they selling see. them at Target? Maybe. But like they're probably like behind. Like they probably have one of those big like... Uh, beepy things that makes the alarm go off when you leave the store, like bolted to it, like one of those you know, parking boot on a car. I'm sure and they behind do. A plastic case. With they the, don't have know. those at Apple too? I don't think so. They have the, they the world's something. smallest security devices that like are welded on in one <laughs> tiny little spot. You right, know? right. Yeah, so those things don't walk out the door. All right, but I think we're done for this week. All right, well, if you would like to, uh, of course you can follow John Syracuse on Twitter, it's twitter.com slash Syracusa, S-I-R-A-C-U-S-A, Syracusa. He is also Syracusa on alpha.app.net. I'm Dan Benjamin on Twitter, Dan on the Alpha. And uh, you don't you don't really have a blog, John, so just go. People should just uh, check you out on Twitter. You interact. And if you'd like to, you can send us an email. John will read them all. He may or may not respond by going to 5x5.tv slash contact and picking hypercritical from the list that you see there. Type in your message and we will both receive it. And of course, it never hurts for you to rate the show in iTunes. How do you do that? You just find it in iTunes by searching for hypercritical and give us a rating. And John even likes it better if you write reviews because he reads them. So do that. Check out the sponsors. Thanks very much for listening. Again, the show notes, all the links and such that we discussed here carefully curated by John, uh, can be found over at 5x5.tv slash hypercritical slash 86. So go there, check it out. And, uh, John, you have a great week. You too, Dan. Mm-hmm.